Good morning. The last two years for Labor Day weekend, uh, my family and I have had a kind of cool opportunity, and that is that we've been able to go to a place called Lady Lodge for the three-day holiday weekend. Uh, if you've never been to Lady Lodge, it's about three hours west of here. It's a camp and conference center run by the HEB Foundation. It's a, it's a really cool place, and we've been able to participate in their Labor Day family camp. And part of how we've gotten to do that is that I've been speaking at it the last two years, and it's actually a lot of work. It's six talks over the course of the three-day weekend. It's a lot to do, but part of why we do it is because Beth and Miriam and Hannah get to come as well and to participate in the kind of family camp activities, which is fun, and they, you know, we wouldn't probably do otherwise. Of the many things that they enjoy signing up for and getting involved, the one that keeps bubbling to the top is signing up for the high ropes course. Some of you know what a high ropes course is. The key word, if you've never done it before, is high. Uh, and the key thing you need to know is that while I am an exceptionally tough person uh, in all kinds of different ways, I really am uh, really strong and powerful and tough. Um, when it comes to heights, uh, that is not the case. I am not a fan of heights at all. And so I've always usually, I've usually been able to get out of the high ropes course. And the way I can get out of it is by being the preacher. Um, by being you know, like, oh, I'd love to go, but I gotta prepare, and I got these talks, and I gotta be spiritual, and I'm sorry, it would be selfish of me to go. Uh, I really need to get ready for the next talks that are coming. But last month at, at Lady, the kids kind of switched it around on me. They came to me uh, this one afternoon, and they're like, hey, uh, do you have to get ready for a talk right now? And I said, no. Like, what do you all want to do? You going to do our smarts and crafts? You want to go canoeing? <laughs> they're like, cool, because they're doing high ropes course this afternoon, and we can go. And I'm like, well, I do have some things to do and to kind of spiritually prepare myself. And, you know, you're really never prepared, so you don't want to take it for granted. And they're like, no, no, no. You said you could come, and so we're going to go. Now, I don't know about any of you, but when it comes to genuine, like, carnal fear in your life, all of us react in certain ways. How I, I'm told, tend to react is I start focusing on certain details that maybe I wouldn't notice otherwise, and some might say I become critical uh, as I notice those details. For example, when we walked and we divided up to go for the different people to go to the different activities and where they're gonna go, the counselors all come and lead you. Well, the counselors that, that, that are employed are wonderful, wonderful people, but they're college students, right? And so the pe person who came up to me and, and to the high ropes course, the two people that came up, I mean, I don't know if I was that, if I was that young uh, when, when they came up, but they struck me as young when they came up considering we're entrusting our life to them. And so I looked at Beth and I'm like, I don't think they look very responsible. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? They, they're certified in this, they've been doing this. I'm like, they just look like wild and crazy people. And I'm not certain if these are the people we wanna go jumping off cliffs with, right? Because um, what you do is you're, you're zip lining at the beginning, which means you go up on this cliff face and, and you're about a couple hundred feet up in the air and you're on this wooden platform and you jump off over the Frio River, which is a couple hundred feet below you, and all you've got is this little wire that's like this wide that's holding you from a harness around your waist to the zip line. And then you go at like 400 miles an hour over the Frio River and it's petrifying and everything else. And I'm like, these, 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 they look irresponsible. Beth's like, they don't look irresponsible, stop. I'm like, no. I, 
listen, you know, if you want to entrust our children to them, um, that, you know, that's fine. I mean, God judges us all in our own ways. Uh, I just want to take care of our kids. But, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Let, 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 let the wild and crazy people be in charge here. And, and besides that, they look, like, they look like they're seven, right? They look like seven-year-olds out here uh, doing it. And there's nothing wrong with being seven. All I'm saying is, is that when you're jumping off a, a cliff with a wire attached to your waist is the only thing keeping you from certain death. I, I would have preferred somebody that didn't look like that after fourth period they were going out for recess, right? Like after lunch, it's like I just want someone that looks like they've been doing this for 38 years and is certified and is great and is wonderful. Best, like you've got to stop. You got to stop doing this. I'm like, okay. We get into a truck. We drive up the trail uh, up to the, the the cliff face, and the the seven year olds go into this shed, right? And it's a shed that apparently the equipment stored in. And I'm like, who maintains the shed? Looks like water could get in there, like the carabiner is supposed to hold you. I'm sure it's like rusty. I mean, there could be moths in there eating away at the equipment. The kids are like, Dad, stop. I'm like, I just want to know who takes care of the shed and who maintains that the shed's okay. And then the, 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 the seven-year-olds came out with the harnesses and the carabiners, and they sort of like put them on the ground in front of us, and they were like, okay, so what you do is you just like step in here, and then you turn around, and then you pull it up, and then you click it here, and then you're ready to go. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, millennial. I'm sorry that you have to sit here in a face-to-face -face conversation with me and explain, why don't you text it to me? Why don't you send it to me as a Snapchat of how this works so that we don't have to have this conversation, but I'm an old, boring person, and you're not just gonna be like, well, step in here and do this and do the click, and then you're ready to go. I'm jumping off a cliff, and I, you're gonna show me where to step. You're gonna show me what clicks into what. You're gonna take, the, and, the, and the person's looking at me, and the kid's like, dad, stop. I'm like, listen, I just wanna know. I, I just care about our safety. And the guy's like, okay, so and so here he was very nice and um, you know, seven, seven year olds are and you step in and he like did it and he's like there you go and it's secure and I'm like is it secure he goes yeah yeah it's secure I'm like okay and so I was going up to the kids and I'm grabbing their harness and kind of lifting them up and they're like dad stop and I'm like I just want to make sure you're safe and then he climbs up onto the wooden structure overlooking this cliff and he goes who wants to go first well in my family for that moment, our oldest daughter, Miriam, is gonna be the one that's gonna do it. She's kind of more of the daredevil than any of the rest of us. And she was like, I'll go. And I'm like, yeah, you go. You go, go, go. Make sure it's all safe for dad and everything else. And so she climbs up because I care about her. I want her to have experiences. I don't want to deny her and give it to her in the moment. She climbs up the thing and the seven-year-old's at the top and he hooks her in to the, the harness around her waist and hooks her into the wire. And he said, are you ready? And she goes, I'm ready. And I'm going, baby, if you want to come down, it's okay. Like, you don't have to do this now. There's no shame in it. She's like, dad, stop. I'm going to do it. And so he goes, all right, here's what we do. I'm gonna count down from three. And when I, get, when I hit zero, you jump. And he said, you got it? And she said, yeah. He goes, all right, you ready? She goes, I'm ready. She gets to the edge of the platform. She's looking over this cliff, and, and, and I'm praying that, that God brings her back so that I don't have to go. And the kid goes, three, two, one. She jumped into the air, off the cliff. Harness holds, carabiner holds. She whips down the zip line laughing and, uh, as she goes, and she gets to the platform hundreds of feet away at the other end of the river, and she's like loving it. She's in this tree, this platform in the tree to go to the next section, and then Hannah goes up, and Hannah's next, and Hannah did it in kind of a wonderfully Hannah way. She climbs up, and she's like, everybody's watching me, and this is awesome, and this is great, and so she clips in, and the guy says, are you ready? And she goes, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to do this. He goes, are you sure you're ready? And I'm like, Hannah, it's okay. Fear can just conquer us. It's all right to come on back down. She goes, no, no, I'm ready. And so he clips her in and, and you know, and they're the same age and the same grade and he clips her in and he goes, and he's like, are you ready? He goes, three, 
two, one, and Hannah jumps into the air, goes down, and like, she winds whipping around, her hair's going, and she's loving it. You can hear her laughing. She goes all the way down to the end. Now it's Beth and I up at the top, and I'm a chivalrous person. I've always been taught by my parents that ladies go first, right? I mean, y'all have heard that before. That's not me, it's me making it up. And so he goes, who's next? And Beth looked at me and I'm like, I honestly don't want to deprive you of the experience in going first. And so she goes up and she gets up there. And now Beth's a little more cautious in that situation, okay? Um, she, her knees aren't shaking like mine, but the, the kid hooks her in and he goes, are you ready? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, okay, three, two, one. And she didn't move. And then she looked at him, she goes, you're gonna have to count again. And he goes, I understand, three, two, one, Beth jumped. She goes, harness catches, she goes whipping down, the kids are all clapping at the bottom and she gets down and the guy turns and looks at me and there's no one else on the cliff except me and him. So I climb up this, this, this wooden structure and he hooks me in and he hooks this one line in and then he hooks the second line in. I'm like, explain to me the lines. He goes, well, it's just what we do. I'm like, no, no, no. No, if I'm jumping off a cliff, I want to know what the lines are for. I want to understand how this works. I mean, I am not an irresponsible person. Explain to me how the lines work. And he goes, well, this is the main clip, but if there's anything wrong, this is the safety clip. I'm like, anything wrong? So you're telling me you're anticipating something could go wrong. <laughs> Otherwise, we don't have the safety clip unless we think that there's something that could go wrong. And if you think that there's something that could go wrong, if you're advising me not to go, I'm fine not going. If that's your advice to me, not to go. He's like, no, no, I'm not saying that's my advice. I'm just saying it, we're just so that you know it's all safe and everything. I'm like, okay. I said, are you ready? I said, yeah. He goes, three, two. And I'm like, tell me about like the qualifications you have to get to lead this. And he looked at me. I'm like, just like how long is the training that you have to do? Seriously. And he's like, Sir, it's, it's quite extensive, and I've been doing this for two years. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I just, like, how many hours? So, like, flight school? Like, do you have to put in a certain number of hours before you're allowed for this? And he goes, he goes sir, I know this is a big thing. You jump off a cliff and, and, and everything, but, you know, we got the equipment. I've done this for a while. And the question you just have to ask yourself is this. You know, do you trust me when I tell you this is okay? I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I, no, I trust you for what's a good snack to eat. I don't trust you for jumping off the cliff face since you're asking me the question. And, 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 but I am motivated by public shame. And my kids and my wife are both down at the other platform. And so, I, I, and he goes, all right, you're in. You ready? I'm like, okay. He goes, three, two, one. The scripture passage for today... <laughs> which we're gonna bring up on the screens is from Daniel chapter two, starting in verse 24. And this is a continuation of our Faithful Presence series here that we're going through at Covenant. This is what the scripture passage says. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will give the king interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who can tell the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen and in its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show to the king the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be hereafter, and the revealer of mysteries disclosed to you what is to be. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask today that you would teach us what it means to trust in you, as we see here with Daniel. We pray that you'd lead and guide our steps in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a gap between what we read last week and this week. Last week, we finished chapter one of Daniel, and we saw that Daniel becomes the top advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar and his court. But this is starting in verse 24 of chapter 2. And what happens in between last week and this week is that King Nebuchadnezzar starts suffering from insomnia. He starts having dreams where he can't find any peace. And so he can't sleep at night. And it goes on for quite a long time. And some of you may have struggled with this. You might know people who have struggled with insomnia. It really is debilitating. So finally, Nebuchadnezzar calls all of his advisors together, and Daniel's one of his advisors, and basically says, you guys are supposed to help me figure things out, and if you can't help me figure th- out why I can't sleep and what these dreams mean, I am killing all of you. You're worthless in this. And all the advisors are going, how do we do that? I, don't, I can't interpret these dreams, because again, the point's not just like, what do you think? What's your opinion? The litmus test is, does Nebuchadnezzar hear the interpretation and find peace with it? Does the king start sleeping again? That's the criteria for whether the dream's been interpreted or not, or you die. So nobody steps forward, and it looks like they might all die as the king continues not to sleep. And then finally in the passage we read, Daniel, among the court of advisors, steps forward and says, I'll give it a try. I will try to interpret these dreams. And the king says to him, as we just read, so you're saying you can do this. You can interpret the dream. You've been my top advisor. The king might have felt relief. Finally, Daniel steps forward. And Daniel says, no. No, what you're asking, I can't do and nobody can do. But what I do believe is that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And in that God, I trust. Friends, one of the things that is important in all of our lives is that there will be moments for each of us when we will be asked to step into situations that are bigger than what we can handle. There are going to be moments when you are going to be asked to be a part of something where you're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to contribute here. I know that most of you, if not all of you in your lives, can already look back to when that happened, where you're like, I have no idea what to do. And you step forward. That's the situation Daniel's facing here. Something he knows he doesn't have the power to do, and yet he steps forward going, I trust that if I step, God will be there. If you imagine it, maybe, Daniel is on the edge of a cliff face. And it's God who's saying to him, you can jump. You can do this. You can take this leap of faith. You can jump out, not because you're going to have some wisdom or not because you're going to have this secret knowledge of how to interpret dreams, but God is saying to Daniel, I will be there with you. I will catch you as you jump. To take this leap of faith. And that, friends, is what today is for all of us. It's a moment where we're asked the question, not in Sunday school class and not in a small group curriculum where we just talk about it, but in practice, do we trust do we trust God? I mean, Pledge Sunday is, is, is built on that idea, right? And we can, should get excited about that. Now, you can be excited, as we talked about last week, for Pledge Sunday because of the things that God is doing in the midst of this community. And we imagine what the next chapter is going to look like in 2018. And that is exciting to imagine what the next chapter in the story is going to look like. And that we, our contributions today are what make that happen. But more than that, for individuals and for families, what's exciting about today is that it's essentially us standing at the edge of a cliff like we've read Daniel doing here and God looking at all of us going, do you trust me? Do you trust me to take a leap of faith? Do you trust me 
to be able to jump. Because if we take the concept of tithing seriously, if we take that seriously that, that that's a starting point in the Bible, if we don't have the cop-out button of going, well, I'm sure that's just a, uh, an understanding from a long time ago that surely culturally meant different things. Like, no, no, no. It just gets harder after that. If we take the idea that we are supposed to be extravagantly generous, all of us, then today should have an element of fear in it. Because it's an element of going, this might cost me something. To be extravagantly generous might cost me. Because essentially what we're doing is we're pledging money for next year that we're assuming is going to be there. And what we're saying is we pledge it for next year is going, all right, God, I assume you don't want this going to my retirement. I assume you don't want this going to how we're going to pay for the kids to go to college. I assume you don't want this to go to the vacation that our kids have been bugging us for so that we can put on social media best vacation ever. I assume that you are going to be here in these moment of needs. But the needs that we might feel if we actually took today seriously ought to have an element of fear in all of us. If God really means that we are all called to extravagant generosity. And part of what I love about Pledge Sunday is, in essence, it's the Lord looking at us going, do you trust me? Do you trust me that as I've been here and walked with you all along, do you trust me to follow my teachings and in the needs that you will have, I'll be there. I'll catch you. You're not going to make this jump by yourself. That's what Daniel has to do. And what we see here is that Daniel finds the ability that all of us this morning and, and in every day of our lives are called to have, which is to say that I can trust Daniel's saying, I'm not an extraordinary person, but I can trust in an extraordinary God. Now, how does he do that? What he says to Nebuchadnezzar is, I believe in a God who reveals mysteries. I believe in a God who will show up and reveal mysteries to us because that's what God does. That's how God acts. And so part of how you and I learn to trust to take that leap of faith that Pledge Sunday offers us is we have to look at our own stories and ask ourselves the question, has God been faithful up till now? Now, you might point to certain examples of your life of going, well, this was really hard, and this was really painful, and this was really difficult, and I know that those examples are real. I have them too. Daniel had them too. Daniel was an advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar, not because he was getting, this was my dream job that he'd worked for his whole life. He wasn't there because it was like vocationally fulfilling. He didn't get to ask the question, what do I want to do with my life? Daniel was taken as a slave from the land of Judah, taken to Babylon, a foreign land, removed from everything he knew and everyone he had known, and forced to work for the king. And if he didn't do it, he'd be killed. That was the only thing he had to work for. And yet Daniel, through the brokenness of life, has still seen the faithfulness of God to the point that he's able to look and to say, God has been faithful every step of the journey. I've never been without him. Because what God does, it doesn't spare us. It's not that life works where we're spared from difficulty. But what we are told is that God is with us and transforms and redeems difficulty. God is faithful. We see that in Jesus, for example, that he wasn't uh, uh, spared pain. The pain of living in a broken world certainly washes over Jesus and it costs him his very life. But the faithfulness of God means that the tomb is empty and that Easter is real and that resurrection happens. God is faithful in the midst of that. Daniel, like Jesus, is able to look and point, this is how God's been faithful to me in the midst of a broken world. How does that look for you? Think about your story and your journey. 
Where has God shown up? To the point that when you hear that voice today saying, do you trust me? We can respond. I heard a story recently that I got permission to share, and it was a story that as soon as I heard it, I didn't know where it would fit into this Faithful Presence series, but I knew it did, and I just wanted to find the right Sunday. The story is of a friend of mine who is a pastor who I'm going to call Tom. And Tom is one of those people that for most of his ministry, uh, you kind of had a, a, a sense of, of just kind of everything turned out well for him. Everything always kind of, kind of, he just seemed blessed. Everything seemed to go real well. He was married, he had two children, uh, had a thriving church that he was working with, uh, was well-liked and well-regarded by people. I, I have a, a ton of admiration for him, uh, and he's a good person, he's a good friend. Last spring, things started changing because he and his wife of 31 years, they had two children. Their first had started college, and their second and their youngest was getting to the point of uh, they were senior in high school and getting ready to graduate. They were about to become empty nesters, and were about to go through that change. Tom said that his, as they were getting ready for their youngest child's graduation, that one day his wife walked in and looked at him, and after 31 years of marriage said, I need you to know I'm done. I don't want to work at this. I don't want to try to work at this. I'm finished. I've been finished with this for a while, actually, and I'm, it's over. Now, friends, to go through a divorce is an incredibly painful thing that hits you in waves. It doesn't just hit you once and it's done. And it's not that it's harder for anyone than anyone else, but it's unique in all of our stories. But there's something unique about going through that as a pastor. Because as a pastor, there's a feeling, even though it's not logical and even though it's not biblical, there's a feeling that we're not supposed to have those kind of struggles, right? And there's a worry that if you go through those kinds of things, that people in your church are going to be in their minds asking the question, or maybe audibly whispering the question, I mean, are they really supposed to be the pastor and they can't even keep their marriage together? And it's very public. It has to be public. And so Tom went through a number of these transitions in a very short time. All of a sudden, he was an empty nester. All of a sudden, his wife of 31 years had left, and it was very public, and he was having to go through this with a lot of people watching him. He said that one of the waves of divorce that hit him was that one day that had already been scheduled before his wife announced she was leaving, that he had to have back surgery. He'd been struggling with chronic back pain for years. And he said that one of the things that hit him a couple of nights before the surgery was that while people knew he was going to have surgery and be out for a while, and many people had been praying for him, he said what he realized is he didn't have anyone to drive him to the hospital. And the people who had said they were praying for him and meaning that very well and were doing it, no one, everyone just has a default, right? And it's like, well, I'm sure someone's taking care of that. And so at 6 a.m., the day of his surgery, he had to drive himself to the hospital, walk into the surgical waiting room alone. But he said this day that as he walked in feeling very alone, that as he went in there, there was a a familiar face. And the familiar face was of a person that he had known many years before, but had only seen a couple of times in about the last 15 or 20 years. The face that he saw was of a member of a church where Tom had worked as a seminary intern about 20 years before. He said that as he walked in, his first thought was, he must be having surgery too. That's what a coincidence. I remember him from a while ago. But this individual who was there was not there because he was having surgery. 
He was there because he and the church where Tom had been an intern and was loved many years before had heard about Tom's divorce and they had been praying for him and then he had heard about Tom's surgery. And as he went home and that night after hearing about it, said that he heard God's voice say to him, you need to go be there for that surgery. Now, this person is a retired surgeon. He said, that's, that's, that's not happened. This isn't rational. This isn't how things work. This isn't what we do. He tried to shake the feeling because that's not how, you know, well-educated surgeons don't just do that kind of stuff. And he said that he kept hearing that voice, unmistakable. You need to go be there with Tom for that surgery. He said he went to his wife, and his wife is, a, is an amazingly um, wise person. He said, you know, she'll talk me uh, the right thing, and this is the sense that I have. And she's like, I think you need to go. And so he drove three hours. Tom didn't know he was coming. Didn't, you know, again, they're not best friends. Drove down the night before the surgery. He's got a hotel room, stayed in the hotel room, arrived at the surgical waiting room at dawn, and was there when Tom walked in and said to Tom, God told me to be here when you showed up. He stayed with Tom through the pre-surgery when the doctors and the surgeons are explaining one last time it's going to happen, helped him interpret what was going on. He stayed there during the surgery and was there when Tom woke up from his anesthesia following surgery in the room with him. No one else there. He knew Tom was okay. He went back home, but then later came back and helped to care for Tom when Tom went back home. I was talking to Tom last week because I wanted to share the story and I wanted to make sure I had the details right. And he said, now, Thomas, how are you going to use the story? And I said, well, we're in this faithful presence series and I want to tell our congregation to be like this surgeon. I want such a great example of faithful presence. I want to tell people that that's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have to, to listen for the voice of God, to respond to the needs around us, to, to answer in love and to step outside of our own uh, small little worlds. And Tom looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, Thomas, yes, that's true. But as far as I'm concerned, you're missing the point of the story. I said, my wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> what do you think the point of the story is? And he said, Thomas, the point of the story is that I was on the ropes. I was on the ropes. My children were gone. My wife has left me. I'm questioning the work that I'm doing anymore, and I know that other people are questioning whether I should be doing it. And I walked alone to have back surgery by myself. And I'm at the point of going, where are you? If you're so great, if you're so loving, if you're so trustworthy, if you're so wonderful, if you care for me, Tell me where you are in this. And God showed up. God showed up in the middle of pain and brokenness and answered my cry and answered my plea and gave me the idea and hope again that I can trust him. He said it changes everything. Listen to me. We are not called to be a faithful presence because God gives us a rule to go do it. 
We are called to be a faithful presence because God is a faithful presence in our lives. And that's the point of the story. How has that been true for you? Because what the Lord is saying to us today is, do you trust me to take this step? Do you trust me that as I've been there with you to this point, I'll walk with you from this point for you? Do you trust me to not live a life where we're holding on with clenched fists to everything we can get and everything that we maintain, but that we can live a life of freedom? Do you trust me that living a life of caring for and thinking about others with our first fruits is far more fulfilling than having lists of everything we can get and consume on our own? Do you trust me to take care of you as you step out in faith? Three, two, one. The instructor said, and I jumped. To be more accurate, according to my children, I more crawled off the edge. <laughs> but regardless, I went. And as I went off the cliff face, harness held, the carabiner caught, the wire maintained its strength. And I zipped over the Frio River, the wind in my face, the sky above me and the water below, and it was wonderful. It was joyful. It was exhilarating. I'm so glad I didn't stand on the cliff letting fear and my misunderstanding of physics <laughs> preventing me from jumping. Do you trust? Three, two, one. Amen. As we conclude this time of worship, we get to respond not in thought, not just in our hearts, not with our feelings. We get to respond to the God who is faithful to us. We have a time of worship. We're going to have a time for us just to, to worship together. And row by row, you're going to have an opportunity to come forward and to bring both your weekly offering, but also your pledge cards for 2018. I invite everybody to come forward. You come forward in the spirit of prayer, in the spirit of worship, do it. Pray for us. Pray for our faithfulness. Pray for God to show up. But come. Take a leap of faith. See what God might do. Amen? Amen.